I'm Scott Harvey, and I'm joined by my co-hosts for this series, Scott Shelton and Jay Habib. Today we will be saying R.I.P. to many Bothans and that one Gamorrean guard who got eaten by the Rancor as we close out our discussion of the original Star Wars trilogy with 1983's Return of the Jedi. Picking up one year after the events of The Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi opens with our favorite roguish pilot, Han Solo, still frozen in carbonite. Han is able to escape, and the crew sets out for Endor to aid the rebels in their never-ending struggle with the Empire, begun constructing a brand new Death Star. Meanwhile, Luke, now a Jedi Knight, is drawn into a final climactic conflict with his father, Darth acting under the Emperor's orders to turn Luke to the dark side, just as the Emperor turned him many years ago. Jay, we'll start with you. What are your general impressions of this final film in the original trilogy? Did it live up to the high bar set by its predecessors, or did the trilogy flame out in a less than spectacular fashion? It lived up. Uh, I had a really fun time watching this movie. I, I won't go as far as to spoil my rankings of the original trilogy, but I, I really, really like this one too. I thought it was right up there. Um, with them. It was a ton of fun, and I, I thought it was a pretty satisfying conclusion to the original trilogy. Scott, how about you? Yeah, you, you know, I, I talked last time about how I remember liking episode five, and it more than lived up to that. You know, I gave it a 10. I said it may be, you know, we both agreed. I, when I say both, I guess Scott and I both agreed that it may be one of the best films of all time. I don't know if episode six quite reaches the heights, but I think that I, coming into it, I felt that you know, I didn't remember it being quite as good as five, but it was on the level, right? It was in the ballpark. Uh, and, and I think that once again, a movie, you know, lived up to that hype. And I think even maybe surpassed what my expectations were. Everything that was kind of promised in episode five around this conclusion around lots of different story arcs, right? Whether it's Luke and Vader, whether it's Han and Leia, whether, you know, the, a vast amount of relationships. I think that a lot of them uh, on, on in terms of, both of them in a lot of different ways, I think really pay off and live up to that hype. I think even the, the new characters that you're introduced to, I mean, Admiral Akbar, absolute legend, absolute legend uh, in the Star Wars Trump. universe. It's a Trump. Uh, yeah, no, he's, he's an MVP for sure. Um, we'll talk about him later. Uh, well, I don't actually, I say MVP, but we actually will assign an MVP later. I'm not sure whether he will be my MVP or not. Um, but no, he's really, he's really great. I think that there are a few misses in my books and, I'd be really interested to get your guys' thoughts on some of the some of the things that uh, I'm, I'm thinking in particular and that, you know, maybe work in some ways, but in some ways also might be a step back. Uh, I'll, I'll save that and, and tease that for a little bit later on in the discussion. But overall, you know, more than impressed uh, with this movie and it, it more than lived up to the expectations that I had going into it. And again, not to spoil the explicit rankings, kind of like Jay is talking here, but I will say... I think all three of these original trilogy movies are better than all three of the prequel trilogy movies. Yeah, I agree with you there. And uh, yeah, we'll get into our rankings uh, towards the end of our review. But yeah, I mean, this movie is great. I think that the first hour of this movie is pretty close to perfect. Um, like maybe the best hour in all of the Star Wars uh, saga, at least uh, that we've watched so far. Um, I think uh, it is, you know... It, Every scene um, does exactly what it's supposed to do from this opening, like really imaginative uh, sequence in Java's palace, which is, you know, super weird uh, for a mainstream movie. But also, yeah, I mean, it's all the better for that, um, you know, following through that whole battle with the Sarlacc pit and then um, Luke going back to um, Dagobah and Yoda and his death scene and all of that. That's all perfect. 
things go go a little bit off the rails once the Ewoks get it introduced, and we'll talk a little bit more about the what what Jay described in his notes as the teddy bear mfers. Um, but uh, we'll talk a little bit more about those later. Um, but I do think that much like we talked about with the Gungans and the Phantom Menace, um, and maybe even to a greater degree, uh, it's a little bit distracting these characters to the movie. But um, I think that it, it, you know, as much as it starts on a high note, it also ends on a high note um, with that final climactic battle between the Emperor, Darth Vader, and Luke. The prophecy is, of course, fulfilled. Um, you know, as Anakin fulfills his uh, his pro- fulfills the prophecy, becomes the chosen one, um, destroys the dark side for the time being when he takes out the Emperor. Um, and it's it's great. It's an epic conclusion um, to uh, you know the story that that particular storyline that we've been following all the way since the Phantom Menace. Um, and so I uh, really appreciated that. I think that the character development of Luke is really good in this movie um, and. You know, the performance of Mark Hamill goes with that as well. And we'll talk about that. But yeah, overall, like as unsatisfying as I think with with Revenge of the Sith, we were unsatisfied by some of the big moments that we knew would be coming. Right. Like the the whole Anakin and Obi-Wan fight at the end. You know, we've been building we were building towards that for two movies two you know, almost three movies um, in, in Revenge of the Sith. And it just didn't deliver for a few reasons. Hayden Christensen's acting, of course, being one of them. Um, but, you know, the same thing goes for the original trilogy. I think that we, everything was building towards, to some extent, this final conflict between between Luke and Darth Vader. And unlike in Revenge of the Sith, it does live up to the hype. Uh, and the, uh, I mean, another thing that is great about the movie is that everything going on around this uh, central conflict between those two characters is also really good. Uh, you know, the, the battle on Endor, Lando, uh, you know, piloting the Millennium Falcon to destroy the new Death Star. All of that stuff is really well done. And I think looking back at the prequels, it really was all about that Anakin Obi-Wan story. And there weren't as many sub memorable subplots and side characters and everything um, that kept you hooked to what was going on outside of that main storyline. So I think that's one of the... Um, great successes uh, and one of the things that certainly puts the original trilogy uh, a leg up over the prequels. Okay, guys, uh, let's talk about the performances now. Of course, we don't really have that many new cast members in this movie. We talked about Admiral Akbar, Mon Mothma is another new character in this movie. Um, but other than that, um, the characters are, are pretty much this, the same crew um, from, from the top down. So, uh, Jay, we'll start with you. Did anyone stand out um, more than they had in the previous film? Was it the same sort of MVPs, the same standouts for you? Or did anyone do anything different to impress you in this movie? Sure. I'll say Mark Hamill, at least in my book, took kind of a step forward. I don't know if uh, everyone agrees, uh, you know, with his, you know, liking his more like confident, almost arrogant, uh, you know, demeanor now but you know when he's saying things like free us or die you know i'm sitting there like all right like i don't know what happened between the last one and this one but clearly you got your act together i will say that the way that whole escape scene went down was not nearly as in control as he made it sound like it was um but it was still you know uh, really fun and i thought you know uh he really stepped it up and then you know to me like carrie fisher you know still just did a fantastic job um, I almost feel like, I mean, again, I've had some time to digest this movie now, like Harrison Ford, I wouldn't say he took a step back, but maybe just had a little less 
you know, I maybe had a little bit less fun with him than I did in episode five. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it's still like a phenomenal cast. I still, you know, love them all. And uh, yeah. And I think Mark Hamill, you know, definitely kind of inserted himself into that top tier is what I'll say this time around for me. Yeah. I find one of the things when I was rewatching this and one of the things that I, I noted and talked about maybe a little bit more length than some than I usually do. And, and when I was just re- typing out my thoughts on Letterboxd was about this transformation in Luke. Cause in many ways, I'm not sure it really makes that much sense in terms of narrative construction. I mean, you talk about going only a few months to a year has passed in terms of amount of time here. And to see this transformation of him where, you know, before he was this brash kid who ran into a battle with Darth Vader to save his friends, but like woefully underprepared for that fight. And now all of a sudden he's, very calm in many ways, like very cool, very collected. And to your point, I think it's spot on Jay, very arrogant. And he was arrogant before. So you can see that kind of through line there, but the way that he is composed feels very different. And my only rational kind of thought around that to justify that is like, well, he must be, he must have been training on Dagobah or something in that period of time. But it's clear when he goes to Dagobah that he hasn't been like, it's it's his first time back talking with Yoda. So I don't know what you guys thought about that, but not in terms of the performance. I mean, this is more of a question of character rather than performance. Cause I think you're right. Mark Hamill does take a step up in my opinion in this, in this one, in this episode, in episode six, but I, I was very curious about the starting point for Luke and in, in, in return of the Jedi. Yeah. That's an interesting point. I, you know, there ha- it has been a year that has passed since Empire Strikes Back. And I don't know, I guess maybe, I guess that maybe even if um, he wasn't explicitly training with Yoda over on Dagobah, he was probably in that time taking to heart a lot of the things that Yoda told him. Um, because obviously at the end of the Empire Strikes Back, we see that as much as maybe he thought he was ready to take on Darth Vader, he wasn't. And he could have very easily died if it wasn't for Darth Vader somewhat sparing him um, because, you know, he's his son. And so I think that uh, he he realizes at the end of Empire Strikes Back probably that he still has a lot to learn. And like I said, maybe even if he doesn't go back to Dagobah, he still has the lessons that he learned from Yoda in the first movie. Um, and, you know, he he's he, he's had a year to perfect these um, Jedi skills that he begun to work on when he was on Dagobah the first time around. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. I think that's that's fair. And ultimately, it's not I don't quibble with it too much because yeah. you're right. Like he's developing as a Jedi. Like he's still only been a Jedi for a year or two years. I don't, I don't, I don't remember. Sorry how long it's been between episode four and episode five, but it's a short amount of time. And so any time in between there is a lot of time and a lot of room for growth and development. And we know that Obi-Wan is still a force ghost visiting him, but I was going to say, I was going to say maybe he was helping with that as well, but it also doesn't make sense for him to do it either because when he does see Obi-Wan's force ghost for the first time, he does confront him about Darth Vader. So that probably doesn't check out. Yeah, but in general, though, I agree that I think Mark Hamill's performance is strong here. Um, I think, I thinking back to the prequels, we talked about how it almost seemed strange because Anakin's most mature form was arguably as a ni- as the nine year old kid in the Phantom Menace, uh, and that it actually seemed like he kind of regressed in terms of his maturity. Again, chalk some of that up to the performance, I'm sure. Um, as he had more Jedi training, but you can't say the same about Luke. He d- he starts off as you know the brash kid. Um, we talked about maybe he was a little bit annoying and whiny in the first movie, but that part of him uh, is gone now in, in Return of the Jedi. And I think for the most part, I believed that even if 
you do have to a little bit of do do a little bit of speculating about perhaps what's happened in this year since the Empire Strikes Back. But I really liked his performance, um, and I think he he plays off the other characters really well. I I really like. I mean, may, maybe my favorite scene is um, certainly one of my favorite scenes is the scene between him and Carrie Fisher when um, he you know re- reveals to her that he is uh, that she is his sister. Um, I th- I think that's a great scene uh, there on Endor um, and. Both of them, um, it, it's a very well acted scene from both of them. Um, so I, I yeah, yeah, I think that um, that's a great scene for Mark Hamill and for Carrie Fisher. Har- Harrison Ford, I agree, <laughs> um, takes a little bit more of a back seat in this movie. I mean, he is frozen for like the first 20, 30 minutes of the movie. Um, so I guess that makes sense. But I mean, still, it's Harrison Ford playing this character. Um, it's hard to complain too much about. Uh, anything that he does or any anything that they do with the character here because it is such a great character and memorable role. And yeah, in general, I think that um, the other cast is fine. You know, they, they do this pretty much the same that they have been doing, the same job that they have been doing. Um, Anthony Daniels always adds a lot of humor as um, C-3PO. And I, I think he, he gets some good moments here too early on in Jabba's Palace, of course. Um, and of course, the standout of the cast has to be whoever did the voice of that singer in uh, Java's Palace when she just breaks into that weird like music video sequence. Definitely a, a great, great vocal performance there by that, whoever that was. And that scene was it, it was like a different song in the original theatrical release. They they reshot yeah. the vocals for that and like the mocap or whatever with it, whatever. I mean, I guess whatever they were doing in the in the early 80s. It does, it does feel very like contemporary. The music it does. That, that's because like, it was reshot. In the right. Show. No. And that, yeah. that's what I mean. Um, even though I didn't explicitly know that, I'm not surprised to hear that because uh, that that's one of the things that was reshot because it does sound kind of out of place uh, for a movie that I mean, I don't know if we want to talk about the visuals. Probably at some point we will. But yeah. um struggles a little bit in the visual department, I think, maybe even to a greater extent than some of the um, previous movies. And we'll talk about um, maybe one scene that uh, in particular is a bit rough. But before we get to that, let's talk about some of the new locations. Well, we I, I'd actually, I, I want to get my say in about, about standout performances. Just okay. really quickly. Um, I agree mostly with what you guys are saying around Harrison Ford. I think that... He, my opinion is that I don't think his performance takes a step back. I just think we're spoiled by how good he is in episode four and five. That the fact that you know he's already hit a ceiling that you can't go any higher. And you're seeing two performances from Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher that I think are elevated in some ways, whether it's because Carrie Fisher has a, a slightly more, I guess, central role of the trio than this movie did. She maybe did in the previous two movies. And I do think that Mark Hamill has has taken uh you know a step forward in his performance. I think he still might be the my least favorite of that central three that's such a high bar uh set by carrie fisher and harrison ford i think one of the people that we've criminally not talked about in the last two movies very much and that's darth vader and i think that he's such an it's such a it's such a more central role and a more interesting character here in this in the sixth episode in in return of the jedi because frankly if we're being honest with ourselves as you know archetypal villain as he is how famous of a villain he is how important he is and ingrained in pop culture He's also not a very interesting villain until this movie, I think. And I think that with that level of, of and with the role that he takes on and the position that he's put in over the course of this film, I think it allows for a more interesting performance, albeit just a vocal performance from James Earl Jones. But I'd love to definitely at least some point talk more about that character of Darth Vader, obviously being super integral to the plot and that final act of the movie and his role with uh, with the Emperor and with Luke. 
Yeah, I did. I definitely think James Earl Jones ha- was a great casting for the voice because he has such a commanding voice. But in many ways, that's at odds with the person who is in the suit, right? And we get that at the end of the movie when his mask is is um, is reve- is removed, and uh, we don't have James Earl Jones doing the voice. We have whoever the actor was that was in the suit, um, and he sounds very weak and 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 frail. And um, so it's a nice contrast that you have um, this intimidating villain um on the exterior and and in the way that he talks uh but actually inside is a very different person um and i think that that um exemplifies what makes anakin skywalker and darth vader ultimately an interesting character and that's that's the tension that is going on between uh you know inside of this character throughout this entire trilogy and um that uh that uh, he eventually has to confront in the climax of this movie you know the the exterior villain, but also the person, you know, they're still good in him, right? There's that Anakin Skywalker is still the person in that suit and they're still good in Anakin. Um, it's just a matter of whether he will um, accept that and give into it or not. Um, Jay, do you have anything to add about Vader? I mean, he had one of my favorite lines at the beginning where he said something along the lines of like, you know, the emperor is not as forgiving as I am. And I thought back to the last movie where he killed an admiral every time a mistake was made. <laughs> it was like, dear God. Um, but yeah, no, Scott, uh, I'll, uh, you know, agree. We'll give uh, credit where credit's due. You know, his, uh, the voice acting performance, you know, was spot on. Yeah. Um, it makes, makes me think about how tired he sounded in the Lion King this year um, compared to his original performance. If they ever tried to make him revisit the Darth Vader character, I don't think it would go over as well. And he's also like 40 years older. So. He, he is, um, which is might make you question why they brought him back for Lion King. But anyway, um, that is, you can go listen to our Lion King episode if you want to hear our thoughts on that. Or don't. Or don't, but no, you should. Um, but okay, let's move on now and talk about some of the new locations we get in this movie. And I guess the, the two major ones would be um, Jabba's Palace, which we get in this opening sequence of the movie, and Endor, which is... Um, the foresty planet where um, a lot of the middle and, and latter sections of the film take place. Um, Jay, were you a fan of either of those lo- these locations? And if so, why? I'll say not especially. I'll say that Jabba's Palace, I mean, is memorable, memorable to me because of, you know, the, the sing and dance, uh, the song and dance scene that you guys, you know, talked about earlier. Like, I remember kind of just sitting there and thinking like, you know, like this is incredibly strange, but you know, at least you know we're getting some culture, I guess. Um, but I, you know, the set I itself, guess. <laughs> I guess. And uh, you know, I mean, the set itself, like, doesn't you know, like, I remember it, and you know, it was fine. And you know, same with Endor, and that you know, there's a lot that goes on there, and obviously, I remember it for you know, some of the more uh, eccentric scenes that take place there. Uh, but you know, in terms of its like memorability, like as a location, like not much, right? Scott, how about you? Yeah, I think holistically, this one might be the weakest in terms of locations. I I like Jabba's Palace a little bit more than Jay does, I think. I think it it reminds me a lot of the brief glimpse of the cantina that we get in A New Hope. I think that's a good vibe. I'm not a huge fan of the song and dance, as Jay put it. I think, Scott, I don't know if you necessarily don't like it, but what you're saying about it feeling out of place, it feels out of place. (laughs) And I don't think it necessarily jives that well with what's going on because I, I do think inherently like the, the setting of this palace is cool and interesting. And, you know, there's a lot going on just like, you know, I, I think I mentioned when we were talking about the cantina back, uh, you know, a couple episodes ago, 
But for me, on Endor is like one of the most forgettable plants. Like the treehouse city is like kind of cool. I'll give it that. But you don't get to explore it very much. And it, at this point, maybe I'd feel differently if we hadn't watched the prequel trilogy first. But it just feels very, very samey and bland, especially compared to, you know, yes, Hoth is, you know, the ice planet. But that was new. We hadn't seen that before. We've seen forest plants before. In some ways, yes, Dagobah is a swamp, more swamp than a forest. But it's not that. It doesn't look that different from Dagobah. It doesn't look different from Kashyyyk, which we saw in episode three. Uh, and so... Again, I recognize there's maybe an order problem that we've just seen more movies than at the time when episode six came out, but nothing got me super excited from a location perspective, except for, I'd say the one scene that did get me excited is the Dune Sea, which isn't technically a setting, but I think that's a really cool uh, set piece, so to speak. And the environment is a part of that. Yeah, no, I I mean, I really like Jabba's Palace. It is one of my favorite locations, um, whether you're talking about inside the palace or yeah, in the Dune Sea location with the Sarlacc and all of that. Um, I really like, I, I think the cantina is a very good comparison, just like the long pan that we get of all of the weird creatures and characters that are in this, um, in this palace, we get the Gamorrean guards, of course. Uh, and I alluded up front to that Gamorrean, he just gets, uh, made a meal of by the Rancor. Um, and I, I think the whole Rancor section is, is a lot of fun and, you know, him biting the bone in half and all of that stuff is, is, is great. Um, and so I, I, I really like this, uh, this setting. Uh, and of course, Java sitting there, I, I, I will say it does feel a bit anticlimactic in parts, this opening sequence. If, if I had to, um, find flaws in it, like Java dying, like it feels like he didn't really do very much. Um, and I guess he probably can't do very much because he's just th this big fat goblin who just kind of sits there. Maybe that's the point. But the same goes for Boba Fett, right? Like it feels like he doesn't get to do very much at all. Like he just popped up in the in the Empire Strikes Back and we were like, oh, it's Boba Fett. And then like he's gone within like 30 minutes, the first 30 minutes of this movie after the Dune C sequence. So like... Um, I thought that that was kind of a missed opportunity maybe to do something more and, and maybe why I've been hesitant to embrace the idea of like a Boba Fett series or anything um, that has been thrown around. I mean, they were going to do the movie, of course, but now that's been scrapped um, for the time being. But, you know, if there's a series or something, I don't know. I just have never felt much attachment to this character. I don't think that they um, did did enough in this sequence to like, you know, establish him, you know, as as a character. Um, established he has a cult of personality. Yeah. Um, that I, yeah. And I don't really understand the cult, but I really like Jabba's palace. I agree with your takes on indoor. I think it doesn't do anything particularly new in terms of the forest planets that we've seen. There are, you know, maybe some cool shots and stuff like that, but, um, I just associate it with the Ewoks and that's not a great association if we're being honest. Um, yeah. So and it, and it, this isn't necessarily related to indoor either, but you're, I don't know specifically what scene you're alluding to that doesn't look very good in, earlier on, but I thought the speeder chase yeah, scene on indoor exactly one, is yeah. God awful looking, like one of the worst things that I've seen ever. Yeah, well, and that's a good transition to talk about the action scenes, which is what I want to talk about next. And yeah, I'll just jump in right there and say that I agree about that speeder bike sequence. I think it looks like, I mean, it is the it is one of the worst green screens that I've seen in quite a while in a movie. Um, and it, it does like, We've talked about before how like the visuals, okay, maybe they're not great, but it doesn't really take you out of the scene. I think this is maybe the first example where it kind of does take you out of the scene because like we're having these close-up shots where you can obviously tell it's a green screen like whooshing behind them. And then like, 
you know, you'll cut away or whatever. And like the bike will be speeding by or hit a tree or something. And you're like, well, that's clearly not like, it's clearly stunt doubles. You know, it's clearly not them. Like you never see anyone's face or anything when they're uh, in these like establishing shots, pulling back. Uh, and I'm just like, this just feels, you know, kind of sloppy. Um, and I mean, I'm sure it's the best that they could do at the time. But of all the things that they have gone through and remastered, and like you, you would think that they would try their best to make that scene maybe look a little bit better, but uh, it doesn't look great. And that's disappointing, right? Because this, the concept of the speeder bikes and the, having a chase going through all these trees and it's really fast paced and trying to avoid the trees, and that's, a, that's a cool idea. And I think that was a good use of indoor as a planet. But I think that the visuals, um, you know, really let the rest of the scene down. Did you agree, Jay? Yeah, no, that, that scene's 0 for 3 with us. Um, you know, memorable in all the wrong ways and, you know, not something I'll look back on when I think about things I liked about the original trilogy. Yeah, and let's not talk about the when they send the Ewoks out on the speeder bikes as well. That was uh, that was a big oof. Um, uh, as far as other action sequences go, though, we've talked about the Rancor battle, the, Sarlacc, the battle with the Sarlacc pit, um, and then, of course, the final lightsaber duel um we have some space action going on with lando and the falcon um and of course the you know the goat who we haven't mentioned very often but um has played an important role in all three movies and that is wedge antilles um who has been an important you know ha has been like i said played an important role in the space aspects of all three movies he was fighting on hoth in that opening scene he was part of the death star run in the first movie and he's part of the death star run here in the second movie he takes out the power generators or whatever it is that he has to shoot so shout out to wedge that guy does not get um the attention that he deserves but as far as other action sequences jay were there standouts for you um anything else you want to say about the visuals or anything like that so I'm going to, you know, bring up the fact that I'm spoiled uh, and uh, in talking about the ending scene here. And this may, again, be a product of the fact that I watched the prequels first. but Almost certainly. I, I mean, it is. It 100% is. It's not even about the actual, like, the graphics or how epic the fight itself was in terms of, like, as a standalone film. But when I think back to the fact that, you know, I, that Palpatine was introduced to me five movies ago... And, you know, there was all that, there was the like slow build of his, uh, you know, character through the prequels. And then we kind of landed in the original trilogy. And, you know, obviously he has this, you know, this like very menacing presence to him. But when I think about, you know, someone that I've, I've spent like six movies getting ready to hopefully see fall, um, you know, I mean, the, the, the final climatic scene, like, you know, strikes a bunch of right notes because of what's going on between Luke and Vader, right? And I guess just when I think about, you know, how I would have wanted like Palpatine to, I guess, like go out in the first place. I mean, first of all, I'm not even, I mean, I'm going to jump all over the place now and say, is he even really gone? Who's to say? Um, but yeah, I guess, you know, when, when, I, when I was watching, you know, like as I was waiting through the, the Ewok scene and kind of getting to this final scene with the Emperor, like I was really just waiting for a little bit more of like a display of power or something. And it. I, that wasn't really there. Scott, what do you think? I guess, well, Jay just said some things, but I want to respond to other things first. To go back to the visuals, you know, I think that, you know, we talked about in episode five about how it would be the AT, the AT, AT scene on Hoth in particular, like clearly, you know, it's not, it doesn't look that great. It'd be incredible to see what that, what that scene would look like 
today in modern times with modern you know CG VFX um, technology, but still cool. The problem is like I think a lot of and I feel a lot of I feel that way maybe to a slightly lesser extent in terms of the just how awesome I thought things were. But the standout for me in terms of action sequences from a visual perspective is the Dune Sea. And I think that it's able to benefit from the fact that I'm not sure that scene would look that much different. I mean, yes, it might look crisper. Maybe Jabba's animation would be a little bit better. But for the most part, that scene is able to like circumvent this problem of like, they're just trying, their like, ambitions are surpassing their means in terms of their like VFX technology. And so that was the scene that I think that I maybe enjoyed the most from an action scene perspective. And also I think just speaks to the fact that, you know, you're talking about the earlier part of the movie that is almost perfect. I think that action scene is almost perfect. I mean, something that I forgot to bring up earlier, but one of the really interesting choices that I think we see in the first act of, of Return of the Jedi is for the first time, even though, you know, we've all thought that Carrie Fisher is an attractive lead, they really go all in on like sexualizing Leia, literally making her, you know, a sex slave to Jabba on the end of a leash, even for, for a couple scenes in the movie. And yes, there is that redemption quality of going back and her being ultimately the one that kills Jabba. But I thought that was a really interesting perspective because George probably doesn't get enough credit for being, you know, a, a pretty progressive person in terms of portrayal of his female characters, you know, for his time. And I think that uh, that decision to take a moment and do something that maybe doesn't quite fit in with the rest of the series in terms of his portrayal of women was a really interesting one. But I think ultimately speaks to like the complexity and and intrigue of that scene. And then you have all the different moving parts where clearly there's this coordinated plan to to kill Jabba, to d escape the you know, and, sa and save their the people there. So you have Luke, you have Lando, you, of course you have Han and Chewie, Leia, all that together, C-3PO and R2. And I think it just comes together as a really great scene. And in, in some ways, surpasses that climactic scene uh, in, in terms of in terms of action and enjoyment. I think obviously there's a lot more narrative depth in that last scene and a lot of things being explored. What Jay is talking about, you know, if you're talking about Palpatine to then go respond to that, to what Jay was saying, I think that's right. Like, you know, you you, you don't really know that Palpatine, in terms of the original trilogy, like you don't really know that Palpatine even exists uh, or the Emperor even exists, the, the Darth Sidious, uh, until episode five and you get that brief image. Like, yes, I think technically he does pop up in episode four, but you don't know anything about him in A New Hope, uh, just that he exists. And then you get a little bit more of a drip feed of information in episode five, but even then it's still very meager in terms of what you're getting. And then all of a sudden you have him on screen and in some ways you're expecting like, all right, like we got a little bit of a tease. I don't know anything about him. I'm going to learn a lot more about Darth Sidious in this episode. And you don't. Like the truth is you just don't learn that much about him. And that is just part of that like mystique of, of Darth Sidious. And you're never really going to learn that much about him. I mean, yes, you get a little bit more and the prequel trilogy, which of course we all know produced after these three movies, which in, in many ways explores Palpatine probably in the way that people wanted in episode six in Return of the Jedi. And so I can understand that disappointment, but if you watch them in the order they were produced, I think that you would feel disappointed by the lack of understanding of Palpatine, but then you'd be rewarded by the, the exploration that takes place in the prequel trilogy. Yeah, I think that's a really good point to make, Scott, especially with, again, not to spoil too much, but with what is to come, I think, with a particular character that we see in the sequel trilogy, uh, people are having some interesting reactions to this character. Uh, and I just, I always think back to the the point that you just brought up that, hey, nobody really knew what the Emperor was about, what his motivations were when the original movies came out. It was only when the prequels came out. It was only when we got those stories that we, you know, got a more fleshed out 
uh, and well-rounded story with the the emperor so give it time is what i would say uh but we'll talk about that more when we get to the last jedi but um i yeah i kind of echo what you're saying i i think that the the carrie fisher stuff is interesting uh because it does feel like kind of out of place that all of a sudden like oh, like we're gonna introduce like sex slavery into this. Like we know that Jabba is like a slave trader and that, um, that- you It's know, just weird that she's all of a sudden wearing a bikini and yeah. on the end of a chain. <laughs> like, But I think ultimately that any harm done is sort of outdone by the fact that um, not only that she kills him, but it's like just the, the idea that he felt so comfortable with putting her, that he felt so comfortable with the fact that she would not be a threat, that he is like, puts her right there at his right hand. Um, and that comes back to bite him, right? Because obviously she is a threat. Maybe she's even a bigger threat than Han or, or uh, Lucas to, to Jabba. Um, and she's able to use the complacency that he has uh, developed in, in putting her right there to take advantage and, and kill him with his chain. Um, and so that, uh, I think is, is kind of, you know, is fairly powerful for the, the gender dynamic. And like I said, I think maybe outdoes any harm done that was, uh, any harm that was done by, um, putting her in revealing clothing early on. Um, but yeah, otherwise I, I agree, um, with y'all's takes on the action sequences. Um, I think the, the final scene, it's not so much about the action as it is about, um, the story and all of the storylines that are coming to a head in this final scene and the character development of Anakin that has been uh, built up and um, finally seeing that that climax happen. Um, it, it's more about that than it is about the actual battle. Um, and so it's maybe that's for that reason, it's not quite as memorable as like the lightsaber battle in Empire Strikes Back, but I think they're trying to do different things. So yeah, because in a lot of ways, the real battle, because I mean, a large part of that scene is just like, is just Luke. I mean, before the actual lightsaber duel, it's just Luke looking out and watching, you know, watching this space, yeah. this dogfight in space where his friends are, you know, kind of being annihilated. Yeah. And there's that, it's more about the internal struggle, right? Of is, is Darth Vader going to strike his son down? Is Luke going to strike his father down? You know, what is the Emperor going to do there? It's it's more about that internal struggle than it is about like the actual battle itself. So I think that makes sense. But yeah, the, those are my takes there. Um, let's move on now. We've we've danced around the Ewoks a little bit. I do think that it, they're worth spending maybe a minute or two, minute or two talking about what our feelings are um, because they are a bit divisive in the Star Wars community. They do, at least for me, bring to mind the reactions that people have towards the Gungans and the, in the Phantom Menace. Um, Jay, what were your takes on these uh, teddy bear like creatures? So it all starts, you know, in that first scene uh, with the one Ewok and Carrie Fisher. And I, yeah. Yeah. And I loved that scene. (laughs) Um, I mean, for Carrie Fisher and for no other reason, right? Like, I mean, I I thought she was really charming. Like, you know, I I thought it was like, I, I actually like really enjoyed that for some reason. Um, Namely that, you know, I guess I just found it like really charming. I think as that whole bit of the movie dragged on, I was kind of like, okay, like, why, why are we here? Like, this is my last hour of the original trilogy. Like, let's, yeah, let's get moving. You know, this isn't to say that like, I, you know, absolutely despise them. Um, Like I, I think you guys might, I mean, feel free to shed some light on that in a second, but um. You know, like I started off in a place of like, oh yeah, like this is great, and then kind of ended at, you know, okay, but why now? You know, but like as you know, as a 
species, I guess. You know, I didn't find them particularly objectionable. Um, yeah, I think that's a good point to, to make that why now is a good question because it does feel like, it, yeah, and this is what people said about the Gungans, but it feels like it's strictly for kids, right? It's like, it it is like to me... And, it won't be the last time you see creatures that are strictly for kids in a Star Wars yes. movie. Uh, it, it is like to me when they just introduce a random dog in a movie for no other reason than to be like, oh, look, a cute dog. And maybe that is not something that is just for kids um, because I think that adults probably react to that too based on my experience but i don't people other don't than respond. other than you react positively to seeing yes. animals on screen but it did remind me of that a little bit and i think that yes because it is so like childlike almost down to leia is like holding wicket's hand like walking him around like he's her child or something and i and like you said, the question is why now? Because we're getting down to the final hour of the original trilogy. There are a lot of things that need to be resolved, a lot of serious issues. Uh, Luke's family uh, issues with um, him and Leia and th their relationship, Han and Leia's relationship. There's a little bit, because there's a little bit of tension that develops there. Um, obviously the whole father-son storyline and the dark side, is Luke gonna turn to the dark side? And yet we're spending time with, you know, these little teddy bear creatures who, like, I'm sorry, when when we've seen lightsabers and blaster pistols and all this kind of stuff, I don't want to see people fighting with sticks and slingshots. Like, that's just not interesting to me anymore. Um, and uh, it, you got to bring is, the big guns to interest Scott. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's anymore. just a little bit silly. Like the whole I, I, the worst sequence to me is probably the whole sequence with C-3PO where they they're pretending he's a god and then Luke lifts him up. And I was like. I'm over it at this point. Um, Scott, do you agree? I don't want to talk about the Ewoks. <laughs> okay, let's move on. No, no, I, I think I, I don't think I said this on air yet, but off air, I shared with my colleagues here that I think that the Ewoks are an abomination. All yeah, right. no, I, I don't think you leave much room for doubt there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I just even the scene where. Leia is I, like I get that you know it's it's nice I think Carrie Fisher is is doing her part well in that scene but that scene is still terrible in my opinion like to Scott's point about sticks and stone like using sticks and stones to fight a battle like I think to go a step further like why does why are we interacting with, with creatures that Carrie Fisher needs to hold their hand and walk around their own planet like it's very it just doesn't make any sense to like, me. I mean, I know that they play an important part in the plot because it's like conceived that way, but like the plot can be conceived a different way. They don't need the Ewoks. Yeah, I just don't really believe that the Empire would have any trouble whatsoever fighting off an army of Ewoks um, and like three humans. Well, um, I got some news for you. They did. <laughs> they did. Um, how about that? Okay. Uh, before we wrap up and, and move into some final um, questions, our usual wrap-up questions. I want to just take a moment to reflect on this movie as the last one in the trilogy. Um, and obviously, you know, if you want to think about the Anakin Skywalker story, this is the end of a, a story that has been told for the last six movies, right? For every movie we watch, there has been an element of this Anakin Skywalker story. Um, you know, maybe it's not as important in A New Hope, but other than that, um, uh, you know, we, we're getting told this story, this character is developing over all six of the movies. Uh, and so I think it's worth reflecting on, you know, is this movie a satisfying end to the trilogy, maybe compared to how Revenge of the Sith was for the prequels? And also, does Anakin Skywalker's story come to a satisfying end, um, given that we've spent six movies invested in this story? Jay, what do you think? A lot of questions there. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, so starting off as a, you know, as as an end to its own trilogy, like just looking at that, like you know, to echo my thoughts from the beginning. Yes, uh, I think you know this wraps up a bunch of stories nicely. You know, we can nitpick how they spent you know parts of that last hour or so of the movie, um, you know, on the Ewoks, but you know we won't. And ultimately, you know, I, I think they do great. And I, I mean, I have no idea what comes next. Um, but you know, as it stands, like I'm, you know, very satisfied uh, with the end. If I compare it to Revenge of the Sith, I am more satisfied with this as a conclusion to this trilogy than I am Revenge of the Sith as in uh, wrapping up the prequel trilogy. Even though you know the prequel trilogy did kind of set me up for, you know, what I knew was going to happen now. But after this, like I think this is as far as my I don't live under a rock knowledge will take me. Like I, I don't think I know anything about the movies to come, good or bad. Um, you know, that being said, like, you know, I'm, I'm still excited, uh, but I'm, I'm more content, I guess, with how, you know, this one wrapped up. I think there was one more question and I'm struggling to remember it. Well, maybe, maybe to redirect and Scott, feel free to sure. jump in if you think that I miss, I miss asking a question here. Just like, what did you think of the conclusion to Anakin's story specifically? Mm -hmm. That's what it was. Yeah, I mean, I... You know, I'm glad, you know, he did what he did. Um, you know, as, you know, annoying as Hayden Christensen's character might have been at times, like, you know, you you ultimately, like, wanted Anakin to not succumb to the dark side, right? And even though it took, you know, a while and presumably a lot of people died along the way. Um, Many bombs you know, certainly died. Right? You know, I was uh, I was ultimately satisfied, you know, the, with, you know, I guess given that all this had to happen, that, you know, in the end he made the right choice. And, you know, I, we did get to, I know you guys talked about how, you know, these movies get remastered, things get added after, you know, we got to see Hayden Christensen for a hot second on screen. And that was really surprising. It's amazing that he never aged in like 20 years, right? He looked really good uh, for being yeah. like 40 years old in the, uh, in the prequels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that was a, uh, that was really strange, but, you know, ultimately like I was, I was with it, you know, I was like, all right, like, you know, you did a, you did a good job wrapping up a story that you didn't know was going to be written. Scott, your thoughts? Yeah, I think, I guess one thing I do want to say is that I do think it also matters in episode four because, yes, you don't get this this relationship too, like, the, you're not there yet in terms of defining this Luke and his father's relationship, Luke and Anakin's relationship, but you do have Anakin and Obi-Wan's relationship. That's, yeah. that's no, I agree, yeah. In episode four, so I think you're still getting, uh, like, ultimately when you zoom out, there is a key part of Anakin's, you know, story in each one of these episodes, and I think that the conclusion to episode six I, I go back and forth i think that the the story here and the way that it wraps up is i think really interesting especially when i think of it from a perspective of what if I, we didn't watch the prequel trilogy first and what if we just got episodes four five and six and i find it interesting because i think that ultimately the story wraps up well when you have that context of the prequel trilogy but i really would wonder if i would think that if i was just watching the original tr trilogy as a standalone like would i be satisfied with like the full arc because, you know, I mentioned earlier that I feels like we haven't talked very much about Darth Vader. And that's because I don't think that there is much to talk about Darth Vader for, for a lot of this series. And so then to, I wouldn't ham it up as far too much of a negative connotation, but then to then laser focus in on Darth Vader all of a sudden when he's not the, the main character in the story. Of course, he's critically important to the main character in the story, but he's not the main character of the story. In some ways, it feels like, all right, I'm... To, to Jay's point, I'm glad that he made the decision that he made. At the same time, 
I don't know if I'm that invested in Darth Vader in terms of just the original trilogy and you know him having this redemption story because again I don't think he's that nuanced of a character in episodes four and five I don't think that that they're doing too much with this guy and then all of a sudden they start trying to do something with him which and there's nothing wrong with that but in terms of a full narrative arc across the series I question whether or not it's successful in the original trilogy alone now given even with its shortcomings with the prequel when you include the prequel trilogy in that arc I think that you tell a much more cohesive story and I think that the narrative wraps up in, in, in a much more sensible and, and reasoned fashion. And one of the things that I do want to get your thoughts on, Scott, and you know, Jay mentioned this and it sort of reminded me of it in terms of a specific plot point is talking about remasters. One of the things that George Lucas went back in and changed for this kind of remastered version in the mid 2000s is he added in two lines or really just, I guess, one line for Darth Vader, which is right before he decides to save Luke from being force lightning. He like says these like two, like repeatedly he says no several times and then like throws the emperor of course over the railing down, down into the kind of the core of the death star. But th those two lines, those two no's were not in the script originally. And I wonder what you guys think about those additions. Yeah. I don't know. I, I obviously he, I guess he added them in there for a reason, but I don't know that it, his audience was dumb. I don't know. Like why? Yeah, why? Like, I don't, I don't know that it really changes the way that I think about the scene in any meaningful way. Um, it feels, well, it, you know, you talk early. I, I shouldn't say you, I talked earlier specifically, and I think that you agreed that something that fell out of place was like their music, like that, that song choice yeah. in job in Jabba's palace. And I think that the two knows really like just slap you out of this really dramatic scene because it feels kind of comical that he's yelling. no, because Darth Vader is this super stoic, you know, reserved character who doesn't speak unless he has a real, like a very intent purpose of speaking. And then all of a sudden hear him kind of screaming awkwardly to nose. It feels, it, it takes me out of it. And I, I don't think this is a, this isn't a comment. I want to be clear on like the narrative arc of the story, but it's a weird choice when it wasn't even the original. I guess to play devil's advocate, I would just say this is a different side of Darth Vader than we are seeing, than we have seen from Darth Vader at any point in the original trilogy. Uh, we're seeing the side who is like giving into his feelings, right? And this is the kind of what I like ultimately about what, why I, I think the finale to the Anakin story is really satisfying because not only is the prophecy fulfilled, right? He becomes the chosen one, he destroys the dark side, but he is finally able to do what he has been trying to do the entire saga and help the people that he loves. Um, like going back to those first movies, like he, he wasn't able to save his mother, right? He wasn't able to save the, the person that he loved his mother. And then his turn to the dark side in Revenge of the Sith was prompted because he wanted to try and save Padme. He wasn't able to do that either. She died in childbirth. Um, but finally he gets uh, his chance to do that. And, save and protect the person that, uh, you know, protect his family, protect a person that he realizes he does love, I think his son. Um, and he's finally able to do that. And so I don't know that the no's really play into that whatsoever, but that just would be, would be my counterpoint to um, yeah. why maybe it's not as egregious to me because I think this is meant to be a different side of Darth Vader than we have seen. This is not the stoic Darth Vader anymore. This is Anakin. Um, yeah. This isn't Darth Vader. So, um, Jay, do you have anything to add there? Scott, did you want to say something else? This okay. is one of those times I really wish I'd written this down so I could prove that this isn't just hindsight talking. But I, I definitely remember distinctly thinking that it was very strange that he did that. 
Yeah. Um, no. Again, didn't write no. anything down, so I can't I can't prove anything. No, I believe. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it was, it was weird. I mean, not just in the, and so like, again, my brain went a little bit like, you know, stupid on me in that I was like, why didn't Palpatine like hear him say that or like sense his feelings and do anything to stop Vader before Vader could stop him? Because throughout this entire movie, like I felt like we got so much more of like people just knowing things because of the force and like sensing things about the whereabouts or emotions of other people through the force. And then at this one very pivotal moment, Vader's literally screaming and Palpatine is just like, nah, I got this. Search um, your feelings. You know it to be true. Right? And There's like, a lot of searching of feelings going on in this movie. Um, <laughs> Lots except, of feelings you know, being found. Except at that point. But um, yeah, I mean, I mean, so I mean, aside from that too, like I did find it out of place. And then, you know, I did go into like the plot reason of it. But also like aside from that, yeah, like I, I did think it was kind of weird. And Scott Harvey, like I hear what you're saying. And I guess I kind of think there's some, I mean, I think there's some merit to what you said, but my you know impulse reaction was like seriously i was just gonna say i really think lucas just wanted to add a moment of bad acting at the end to remind us that this is anakin <laughs> oh you're well he edited it in so he yeah, edited it in yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right <laughs> I, so i said so two things i think that one i think that your point's exactly about how this is finally being a moment where he can save the people that he loved you can only make that argument with the prequel trilogy that didn't exist in, yeah. in the original trilogy i, said, I think that that's exactly what I was thinking of, and I'm glad you kind of laid it out there more explicitly. The second, and one of the things that I want to challenge, and this is like more of a question, is, is the prophecy fulfilled? I'm not sure that it is, because the prophecy isn't that you will destroy the dark side of the Force. The prophecy is that you'll bring balance to the Force, which is not the same thing as destroying the dark sure. side. And so I'm curious what you guys think about whether or not Anakin is fulfilling the prophecy. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's a good question, because... Uh, you know, he's, he's destroying the, like, I, I guess it just comes down to what do you define balancing the force as? Because he is for the time being destroying the dark side. There are no more Sith Lords. Uh, but that's not balancing the force. That's right. Just no. And, and there's, the because there's still a Jedi, right? There's still Luke. He's the, he's the, the last Jedi. Um, and so like, Spoilers, geez. Well, maybe he's what maybe happened he to Leia? But maybe he is, maybe he isn't. That's, oh my god, I have questions. Um but yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. Like that is an interesting question of is that considered is that balancing the force? Because yes, that is the prophecy. Um and I don't know that there's a clear answer to that yet. Maybe episode nine even is going to give us um some more insight into that. I don't know, but the, because this story is constantly expanding. You're, you're muted, but because this story is constantly expanding um, and there's always, it always seems like there there's more stories to be told. And even among what we've already seen, we're going to be getting more stories with the Obi-Wan series and all of that. I, I don't know what, what conclusion to draw really here, because it, like I said, it does come to how you define, define balancing the force. I mean, like, I think probably ultimately that is the prophecy fulfilled and, and that's what Lucas intended, but it's an interesting question to raise. Yeah, see, I would say, well, first off, I'd say that Mace Window would really like you to believe that bringing balance to the Force means destroying the Sith, because he says yeah. it a lot in episode two and three. Um, but I think that I think that it's not. I'm in the camp that, I mean, George Lucas always wanted to make nine movies. He wanted to make an original trilogy, he wanted to make a prequel trilogy, and he wanted to make a sequel trilogy. And that, and those nine movies, I believe, I mean, my understanding was that those nine movies were supposed to be this story about bringing balance to the force, you know, the Skywalker cycle, whatever you want to call it. Like that. that's what it was supposed to be about. So I, you know, maybe I could be wrong and maybe I'm giving, you know, George a little bit too much credit here, but I think that, that like this, 
this end to episode to return of the Jedi is not supposed to be the answer to the prophecy. And I think that, you know, even when you look back at the prequel trilogy, I think that what you I mean, what it also implies is that, and as we're, as we're kind of told kind of on the nose in, in the prequel trilogy, is that Anakin's not the chosen one. Anakin's not the one who's going to bring balance to the force. He's not able to do that. And I think that when you look at it from this perspective of the six movies that we've watched so far, I think that that's true. I think I think that what we're seeing is that it turns out Anakin wasn't the chosen one, and he didn't bring balance to the force. He certainly saved his son. He like you know he caved to his emotions in some way, which in, in many ways, oftentimes it is is a tr- is is a characteristic of the dark side of the force, not a characteristic of the light side of the force. But he ultimately did it, and 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 didn't necessarily bring balance, but but weighted it towards the light side of the force. And I think that. One of the questions that I think a lot of people who are fans of the Star Wars franchise are looking forward to in Episode Nine is that will there be a conclusion to the prophecy and things like that? I mean, you know, we'll jury's out on whether or not on us saying like whether or not it's an important part in Episode Seven and Eight. We'll get to that when we get to it. But I think that is a question that has been left open and left unanswered, in my opinion. Now, some people might disagree with me. Sounds like Scott, you may disagree with me, but I think that the the prophecy is one that's been left unresolved. Yeah, I mean, I I want to see Episode Nine, I guess, before I. Now that I pass before I pass judgment on this, because it is interesting, right? Like, yes, Lucas intended to make nine movies, but obviously now we're not the last two movies have not been the yeah. episode seven and eight that Lucas wanted to make. Um, no. So death ha- certainly not with episode eight, but um, how much or seven did you if you if you read that interview with uh, that Bob Iger? Yeah. Um, so it, it will be interesting to see in episode nine. Um you know, do they pay homage to the script that is out there uh, in existence somewhere that Lucas has for episode nine? Uh, do they try to um, answer this question about who is the chosen one? Was it Anakin? Is it someone else? Um, to be fair, I don't think George Lucas had a script for episode nine, but yes, I take your point. The story points. Yes, yes. He had something yeah. down on, on paper for episode nine. But um, Jay, anything to add about this question of bringing balance to the force? I mean, nothing useful based on what you guys are uh, drawing. It's also a question that I've thought about and watched the movie so many times to think about. I mean, you're coming at this fresh, so I'd love to hear whatever takes you do have, even if you don't think that they're helpful. I mean, and it, it'll come down to the question you posed a second ago, which was, you know, is bringing balance to the force, like eliminating the dark side, right? Or is, is does balance mean that, you know, you leave both sides in existence? The rule uh, of two, just right? In some but... sort of, exactly, in some sort of, you know, controlled one doesn't dominate the other uh, environment, right? And I mean, I'm, you know, as you guys were talking, I'm just trying to think of like other, you know, bring balance type things. Uh, And the answer is generally wipe out the dark side, right? Um, You know. Yeah, I mean, ultimately this is like an old fashioned heroes and villains story. And so the heroes triumph in the end. I think that um, Lucas is probably giving into that, that impulse there to just have the, have the good guys win in the end without maybe necessarily thinking about what that means for the larger idea of bringing balance to the force. Yeah. But he also added in this concept of bringing balance to the force 20 years after the first, you know, after he originally created Star Wars. So he had a lot of time to think about that. And I mean, yes, I mean, as much as I think that George Lucas maybe has made some directorial errors and even some script errors in the like prequel trilogy, like his story ideas are still sound in there. And and yeah. if, if he chose to t- say, bring down the forest, I'd ha- I'm going to give him credit here and say that it was probably intentional. You may be right. And we will see in due time. We will, maybe we will revisit this conversation down the line with the movies to come, but please do. Yes. I cannot wait to unpack all this at some point and it's, like rewatch it, this series another time. And with all the interviews and commentary and something's great. 
It's an interesting conversation, an interesting question that I hadn't thought a lot about. Um, so thank you for bringing that up, Scott. And um, now I guess we can move into the wrap-up phase for Return of the Jedi and the original trilogy. Uh, let's start. Who is your MVP, we will say, of the original trilogy as a whole? Um, Jay. Oh, straight to the trilogy. Yeah, why not? Again, close, but I'm going to give it to Carrie Fisher. And I could sit here and actually like give you like my one, two, three of each movie, and based on that, like you know, based on the parts, but also I think just as a whole, I think uh, I think I'm gonna give it to Carrie Fisher. Good Such choice, millennial. Such a progressive millennial. <laughs> when when you talk about the whole trilogy, honestly, you can create I think compelling arguments for Carrie Fisher. You could even create an argument for for Mark Hamill with his progression in terms of performance over the course of the trilogy. But I think that the clear winner has to be Harrison Ford. I mean, the guy's an absolute legend, especially when you think about his dynamic, his dynamic with other people, right? I mean, you talk about earlier in the episode, you talked about how Luke really evolved as someone who was really like he was really good playing off of other characters. I think Han is like the epitome of that. Like anyone he plays off of benefits from it. Like whether it's his his, you know, his um chemistry with with Carrie Fisher and, and the Leia character in episodes five and six in particular, I think is really strong in a lot of scenes with maybe one exception, which you didn't touch on. That's okay. And then also like you think about his relationship with Chewie, like how the Millennium Falcon is tied into him. I think there's so many elements of this character that are just perfect uh, in, in the whole, across the whole trilogy, especially. And so if, if we're going straight to the trilogy, it's going to be Han Solo. If we're picking just episode six, it's Admiral Ackbar. It's Mon Mothma. Come on. Yeah, I'm not I, even sure Jay knows who, who's Mon, who Mon Mothma is. She's the lady who like says many Bothans died to bring you this information. Yes. Um, but uh, I will revisit what I said earlier since y'all have taken two great options in Han and Leia. I'll give it to my guy Wedge Antilles. Um, I think that, uh, like I said, he plays an important role. If you think back about it, he plays an important role in all three movies. I don't know where the Republic, where the Rebels would be. That's like not saying for the Jar Jar is your MVP of the prequel trilogy because he plays an important role oh. in all three films. How <laughs> dare you? Into, I'm kidding. The, the comparison is not even close. No, Jar Jar right. is I, not a pair of flying a ship destroying the Death Star. So y'all took the best options. I mean, obviously I could go Luke or Vader, but uh, we've talked a, a lot about those story arcs. So I thought um, you were going to say Yoda. If I was being Shout out to Wedge. Yeah, no, Yoda. And we didn't talk a lot about Yoda, I guess, in this movie, but... I do think that his death scene, I, I like his death scene a lot. Um, not because he dies, but um, the, the dialogue <laughs> that he has with with Luke, um, I I thought was a, a good way for Yoda to go out. So um, Thus far, I'm not, no spoilers for the future parts of the series, but the only peaceful death in the entire Star Wars universe. That is true. That is very true. Um, okay, guys, favorite scenes or moments? Um, first from Return of the Jedi and then from the trilogy as a whole. Yeah, I, I think in terms of the the best scene of this one, Scott, it, for me, episode six, it's it's the Dune Sea. I talked about it kind of at length already. I just think it in terms of actions, it's a great set piece. It's the best set piece in the in my opinion for this film, and that's because, like I mentioned already, just to kind of rehash this point, but it doesn't have to rely on ambitious visual technology that doesn't exist yet, right? Like it would be amazing to see what this movie would look like today if completely redone and remastered. Uh, of course, parts of it are, but not using the same uh, VFX technology as we get today. But in the Dune Sea, I think that's okay because a lot of what you're seeing here, it, it works. I mean, yes, Jabba the Hutt, maybe not. It'd be, um, it'd be really interesting to see what he would look like today with 
given the current CG VFX. Um, but you know, that's like the one exception to what I was talking about there. So I think the Dune Sea is great, great action sequence. You get a little bit of lightsaber, a little bit of blasting, a little bit of cannonballs, <laughs> very big laser guns. Uh, and I think you just get it all there, including some very satisfying Sarlacc kills. So what are you gonna do about that? In terms of the in terms poor of the Boba Yeah, poor poor Boba Fett indeed. I think that in terms of the series as a whole, man, it's really hard to beat some of those scenes from from Empire Strikes Back. There's there's just so many iconic moments. I can't even remember which one I picked last last week when we talked about uh, episode five and, and and my favorite scene. But you know, you can pick one of those scenes between you know Han and and, and Leia even just in, in thing because I think that captures one of the parts that so surpasses the the prequel trilogy, especially given the context in which we're watching the order we're watching here. When so many of the scenes between Anakin and and um, Padme are so disappointing in terms of not just the, the chemistry that, that Anakin and Padme or Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman lack, but also in, in terms of what's actually there, the script, et cetera, all of it. And so I think that the romance, so to speak, of Han and, Han and Leia, I, I think it, it just works so well and is such a huge improvement on something that you also get a tease of or at least an allusion to and uh, attempt at in, in the prequel trilogy. As a joke favorite scene, I will say, from this episode, I think uh, Harrison Ford's face after he, mid-kiss when he finds out that Luke is Leia's sister is is a mood. Yeah, he was just the the sheer like joy and excitement oh. when he discovers that was kind of funny. Um, Jay, uh, have you composed an answer for this? I have. Um, uh, aside from the scene where Carrie Fisher is playing with the Ewok, um, <laughs> I'll start with actually the the Java the uh, escape from Java's palace from the very beginning when the droids play the uh, clip for him. Uh, Luke's clip and you know he says like you know I will give you something as like a measure of good faith like these two droids like I laughed out loud so hard um, and then you know C-3PO and uh, R2's uh, you know dynamic through that whole thing you know right up uh, that you know that part right through you know the escape where we get this like you know ripped you know arrogant but exciting uh, Luke Skywalker you know I uh, it you know had me really excited uh, for you know what was going to come, I really enjoyed that scene. Was it something I said? And as for the trilogy as a whole, uh, JD got one. Um, I mean, you know, to echo Scott's point, you know, you can take so many moments from Empire Strikes Back. Um, you know, I think I love you. I know uh, is always always which we going see to stay with me. Repeated in this movie, but yes. from the other perspective, uh, which is great. Meant to meant to mention that as something that also takes place, you know, in the Java. Uh, Escape from Jabba's, right? I love, the, I love the difference in those two, though, when, like, Leia's saying right before Han's, like, about about to die, or, like, what she thinks that he's about to die, and then he's saying it right after she, like, shoots someone with a blast, and be like, oh, like <laughs> good job, you killed him. I love yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, there there was that, and then, obviously, uh, when Yoda is, uh, you know, training Luke, you know, the lifting, uh, is it the plane out of the swamp, and the do or do not, there is no try, you know, that'll, uh, that'll stay All with me. You All stole my favorite. They're about to come at you. It's called an X-wing, not a plane. An X-wing. Excuse me. <laughs> like I said, I, I got to rewatch the movie with all the commentary and all the notes because I couldn't even keep those out to try to you know up to avoid spoilers and reviews and all that. You can't rewatch the film. You're not going to get any of this knowledge from watching the film. You just you just got to go read like the the books <laughs> to I get all this. No, you do not have to do that. Um, <laughs> I will say too that I think I'm pretty sure that I love you. I know moment is actually on indoor when they're outside the facility or whatever at the door to the um thing and and the 
the rebel sold or after R2 freaks out and the, the empire, the stormtroopers come up there and then I think, but anyway, I think that's when the scene takes place, but anyway, yeah, you're um, right. that's oh, not important. Yeah, you totally really. are. Um, favorite scene for, or moment from this movie. I will go with, I, I talked about how I love the scene between Luke and Leia, but I'll go, I'll also go with the moment when Chewie sees Han for the first time after he's comes out of carbonite, which is just a great moment. Um, talking about like, someone who is overcome with joy like Han towards the end of the movie. Uh, that's Chewie when he sees his old pal back uh, out of Carbonite. So that's a great moment. And then, yeah, for the trilogy as a whole, um, it's hard to beat that scene for me that Jay talked about with, uh, um, you know, I don't believe it. That is why you fail. I think that is such a crucial moment in Luke's development as a Jedi and um, a crucial moment in Luke becoming what he becomes in Return of the Jedi. Uh, and so it, it's hard not to to say that scene because it is so epic. Um, some other moments that I do love, though, from A New Hope. I mean, Han arriving uh, into the Death Star battle at the end, obviously, is amazing. And then um, just that shot of Luke looking out uh, at this or early on in A New Hope, looking out at the the two sons and in, uh, in on Tatooine and um, you know, dr dreaming about um, what what is to come. Uh, that's that's a great moment um, setting up what we're about to get in the trilogy. So, so many you could pick, as you all have said, but um, those are just a few of my favorites. Uh, okay, scores out of 10 uh, for Return of the Jedi. Jay? Well, again, with my uh, very strange sliding scale or whatever, uh, we'll focus more on, you know, where the movie sits in terms of, you know, it's placed in the top six, but I'm going to go ahead and give it a 9.1. Scott? 8.8. 8.7 for me. Uh, excellent movie. Uh, okay. And now, finally, for the moment everyone's been waiting for, our updated rankings of all six movies to date um, that we have watched, Jay. Empire Strikes Back is one. Return of the Jedi is two. A New Hope is three. Revenge of the Sith, four. Phantom Menace, five. Attack of the Clones, six. Yeah, you're not gonna not gonna get anything different from me. It's gonna be five, six, four, three, one, two. Y'all are crazy for thinking Revenge of the Sith is better than Phantom Menace. Um, <laughs> no, number not. one, Empire Strikes Back. Most number people, two. in fact, agree with us. <laughs> Num number two, A New Hope. Uh, number three, Return of the Jedi. Number four, Phantom Menace. Number five, Revenge of the Sith. Number six, Attack of the Clones. There you have it. Um, not too much controversy there. A little bit. Um, but we are all, certainly all in agreement and certainly something that I don't think will get much controversy from the Star Wars community is that all of the original trilogy is, is better than the, the prequels. But uh, we still have uh, five movies to come, four movies to come, four movies to go. Um, and so who knows what our lists will look like at the end, but uh, it should be it should be pretty interesting. Um, with that, uh, thank you all for tuning into this episode of the Star Wars Countdown talking about Return of the Jedi. Um, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, don't forget to check out all of our other podcasts here on the feed. Uh, Some Like It Scott, Champ's Lunch, all that good stuff right here in the same feed where you found uh, this episode. Um, and don't forget about our Patreon, patreon.com slash media plug pods. Like, like, rate, review, subscribe, do all the things over on your podcast app and podcast apps, including Spotify, where we are now. Check us out over there if you're a Spotify person. I certainly am. And we hope you'll be back for our next episode of the Star Wars Countdown, uh, on which we'll be talking about the first of the anthology Star Wars movies, uh, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. Uh, until then, for Scott Shelton and Jay Habib, I've been Scott Harvey. 
Uh, we'll see you next time. Okay, guys, favorite scenes or moments? Um, first from Return of the Jedi and then from the trilogy as a whole. Scott, you want to go first? He said no. <laughs> okay. Well, now you have to give me a second. It's fine. I can edit. That's tough. I have a question. Um, actually, I'll ask you this after we record. I don't know. How does he even want to choose? Oh, my God. You really want me to go? <laughs> I'll go. I'm sorry, man. I don't know. Jesus. That was a loaded question. Not a loaded question. You knew this question was coming. No, it wasn't. No, wait, how would I have known that? It's only we ask it every single episode. Uh, if you, Do you want me to jump in? No, no. no I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. Okay. And we hope you will be back for the next episode of Star Wars Countdown, on which we will be unpacking the... Uh, solo story of uh rogue one a star wars story until then we will be right <laughs> you want to redo that, that? <laughs> let me do that again i don't know why i said solo story and then it wasn't solo